this morning. And I was watching those videos this morning. The first thing I was thinking, it's only 10 weeks tomorrow to Christmas. So if you're like me and are a last-minute planner when it comes to Christmas, you've been warned. Husbands, dads, you have all been warned, all right? It's coming. Uh, but Chris, as Steve said, Pastor Steve said, uh, Christmas, Christmas Box is a huge event in our Elam Christian Centre calendar. And it is a chance for us to, to reach and serve our community. And we really want to invite you to be part of that, be it financially giving, or even be, uh, to join the fun of being on the packing team, where we pack the boxes, or delivering. There's nothing like going, turning up someone's door and, and delivering them a package of supplies and goodies that just gets them through that, that difficult time for Christmas. You know, as a kid, Christmas was always such a fun time of the year, but as a parent, it can be a little bit more stressful. And so it's really, really cool just to be able to, to reach our community and to be able to put that a chance just to, to say who we are and who the goodness of God and share the goodness of God with those in our community. Yeah? Cool. Well, as Pastor Steve said, we're starting a new series today, and it's a, a verse-by-verse look at what is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture. And after worship this morning in Denise, I'm like, well, I've got nothing left. Everything's been hit this morning. It's, uh, but it was beautiful worship. Thank you, Fiona and the team. You did an amazing job. And, and, and Denise, this morning's transition is lovely. <laughs> you know, I've seen firsthand how this passage of Scripture can influence people and, and, and move people. Uh, my dad was a minister. And I remember when I was young, he, he took me with him with a hospital visit. And uh, he took his black Bible with him, big old black Bible, a bit like this. The, the idea of a Bible on a phone was very foreign back then. The phone was a thing that either hung on the wall or was on the bench. And, and, and Dad knew all about those because he worked for telecom. So, so uh, the, the, if he thought of a, a Bible on a phone, the, 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 it would be more of entertainment devices, which is what it really is. But anyhow, he took with him on this hospital visit, and, and this person was in a lot of suffering and coming near the end of their life. And Dad asked them whether he, whether he could read the word to them. They weren't, they weren't a believer. And I remember watching as, as Dad opened his Bible and, and he read Psalm 23. And that person was lying in bed, their, their body just started to relax. And their face relaxed, their eyes closed. And even though they were in a great deal of suffering, that, that word was just speaking to them. So for the next six weeks, we're going to explore this 3,000-year-old masterpiece of poetry. Let's read it together. It should be on the screen. It starts a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And may, Lord, may the Lord bless the, the reading of the word this morning. Father, we just ask through the Holy Spirit and invite you into this moment. Lord, would you anoint your word? Holy Spirit, would you speak to, speak to hearts? As Denise said, as we, as we prepare a space for you, Lord, as we go deep, we remove what is not of you to make space for you. So, Father, I just pray you'd speak to hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for those of you taking the notes, the title of my sermon this morning is, Who is Your Shepherd? And if you don't take notes, maybe you should write it down anyhow. But before we dig too deep, it's just worth to take a quick look at where this psalm comes from. 
And uh, I don't know if you saw at the start, they had a title, said a Psalm of David. Now, I'm not the smartest man in the room, but I did do forensics for police for a few years, and they taught me how to find things called clues. So I think there's a little one there. But this is the same David who killed Goliath with a shepherd's sling. He later became king of Judah and then united 12 tribes of Israel into the most powerful kingdom of his time. He defeated all the enemies around it, and those he didn't defeat would sign treaties with him and send their um, payments to him just to, for him to leave them alone. And that brought peace and great wealth to the nation of Israel. He's also the same David who's a fugitive before that. He spent years in caves and in foreign countries on the run from the, the king of the time that was King Saul. It's the same David who committed adultery, who committed murder. And he had a somewhat dysfunctional family. You know that family, it might be in your street or someone you know, maybe family uh, relations, and they're just those kids that just do not behave themselves. And what have they done now? That, well, David was their dad. But now David's getting a bit old and he's sort of looking back on life and reflecting on, on, on the impact of the Lord's, the Lord's relationship with him in his life. And he gives us some wisdom to live by. So this morning we're just diving into verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So let's pick this to pieces. The Lord has a variety of different names in the, in the Hebrew language. And the, the one that David chose here was the, the was creator God, the supreme holy God, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. So there's that relationship for him, but there's also that he's a knowable God, which is quite interesting. So then he goes into the, the shepherd. And uh, uh, um, for me, I was like, well, are we all sheep? I mean, I was Sean this week, and Thursday was my date, and I think Daryl's up next week, so you might see a clean shave on him this week as well. So uh, look out for that. But uh, the, the term shepherd invoke, is used a lot in the Old Testament, but it sort of invokes things, ideas like a protector, a provider, a carer, or a guide. And David knows a bit about shepherds and shepherding. That's where his story started in, in 1 Samuel 16. We meet David for the first time when he's about to be anointed as king of Israel. And the prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house. Jesse was David's dad and he says uh, to Jesse, I want to see your sons. One of them is going to be anointed. And so Jesse lines up all his, all his oldest sons. And they're all good-looking guys, fit, strapping, and strong. And Samuel looks to the Lord and says, surely one of them. And the Lord says, no, this isn't the one. So in verse 11, Samuel asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse replied, well, he's still the youngest one. He's out looking after the sheep. You know how in families where it seems to be that the youngest gets the best and the worst everything. Sometimes, these days, it seems like they get a free ride at times, but they also get all the hand-me-down clothes. They're all the off-casts. Um, or they might get the worst jobs or chores that the other siblings don't want to do. When I was growing up, it was drying the dishes. When I got a bit, got a bit older, it was mowing the lawns. It was added to that, but I hated drying the dishes. My sister, she had this technique. She would she'd be washing the dishes and after a family dinner. She would get them all lined up, and she'd have them, all the cutlery all lined up, and the plates, 
and then all the dishes that were being used for cooking, the, di- the meal, and uh, she would then wash, and she would speed wash. I don't know how she did it, but she would then make this huge tower of dishes for me to pick apart without breaking anything and dry, and she'd be gone. So I'm still there half an hour after dinner, drying the dishes all by myself, and I hated it. Now, apparently, I still haven't learned to wash dishes. And don't, just a little secret from home, and she doesn't let me wash. I still have to dry, so, so nothing's changed there. But uh, back then, the job that nobody wanted was looking after the family flock of sheep. Even the servants didn't do that job. They were too important to be out working in the fields to get the crops. So the youngest was left this job of wandering the hills, looking after the sheep. Now, when we think of of sheep here in New Zealand, we think of the the green, flat pastures, all fenced off, and and, uh, shepherding seems like a pretty easy job, right? Well, for David, it was quite different. The terrain there, anything flat was used to grow crops. And the sheep, they were left to wander the hills. And the shepherd would be with them, the youngest of the family would be with them. They'd be gone for days, weeks, trying to find food, water for the sheep. And so they were often away, and they were being with the sheep and walking around the hills. They'd get quite dirty and dusty and smelly and and. In, in the Israeli culture, they'll be classed as unclean, which would mean that they would be um, socially distanced, thanks to, uh, in part, their, their woolly smell. But it's fascinating that given that shepherding was so looked down upon, that, that when Jesus entered that same, that same culture, he called himself a shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd. In John 10, it says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. See, Jesus, the Lord God, Yahweh, the same Lord that was used in David's verse, the God of all creation, enters the creation he made, enters the Jewish society, and turns it upside down. He doesn't come as a Lord, doesn't come as a ruler, he doesn't come as a boss, but he comes as a servant. He turns it upside down. And refers to himself as the lowliest of roles. And I think this beautifully underlines that word, my. In Psalm 23, verse 1, it's my shepherd. And, and when Jesus says, my sheep, my sheep know me, it shows two things. It shows choice, and it shows relationship. See, David chose to accept the Lord as his shepherd, as his provider, as his protector, as his guide. And even though David lived through some serious ups and downs, through it all, it was his heart and his will that was surrendered. And it's because of this perspective that David could say, I do not want. He had to wait 15 years after he was anointed before he became king. 15 years waiting for the promise. That's a long time. And it wasn't an easy time. You know, as a fugitive, he could have tried it. He could have shortened that journey. There were two times when he had the opportunity to kill King Saul. But he could have taken the promise and activated it in his own strength. But he said, no, it's not for me to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And I thought about that. I thought, man, there's some people who get under my skin sometimes. And if there's just that moment, I can just get one up over them. I'll be all there. But David... He'd been isolated from his family, from his friends, from his home, and he still said, no, this is not for me to complete the word of the Lord. 
You know, after David died, he had set up the nation of Israel as a powerhouse, as a wealthy nation. And they lived under prosperity, but it declined as people turned away from God. They were living in the blessing of God. Life was so good that suddenly they felt like, well, we don't need God anymore. And they started copying the nations who lived around them and they worshipped other gods. Oh, the neighbor's got an interesting God. I might try that. They made idols. They worshipped nature. It became so desperate in their relationship with God that they would even sacrifice their own children to other gods. And over the years, Israel received warning after warning that if they continued to live their own way and be like the world around them, that they would lose that blessing protection of God gave them. He would remove it from that nation. And I was reading the prophet Jeremiah. He lived 400 years after David. But he also lived during a time when Jerusalem, the city of David, was completely destroyed. Now, Jeremiah had been warning that God's blessing and protection had been removed and that an invading army was on its way to destroy the nation. But at that stage, Israel had completely left their relationship with God. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't hear the warnings. In fact, they would imprison and kill the prophets who gave them the warnings of the godly prophets who said, this is the way you must live. But the false prophets, there were plenty of those, they loved to hear them, the prophets who tickled their ears and gave promises of prosperity, wealth, and good times. Now, everyone likes to hear a promise that sounds good, especially if it doesn't cost us anything, we don't have to change, we don't have to do anything, it's just there. Everything loves a free gift, right? But the prophets who warned of people's sin, they were imprisoned, they were ignored, they were even gruesomely killed. Isaiah was cut in half by the king of Israel. For Jeremiah, they cancelled him. And we think cancel culture is new. No, it's been around for thousands of years. And it's back again. It's not so different. If, if someone calls out sin in our society today, how are they treated? They're labelled anti. Labelled hateful. This is hate speech. Oh, you're a bigot, you're a phobic. Rather than just speaking out truth. Granted, truth must be spoken in love. It's the sin, not the person that we're speaking against. However, the world doesn't receive it that way. So Jeremiah was one of the godly prophets during this time. He'd even been banned from the temple at this stage. He'd been imprisoned and he feared for his life and he had a new word for the Lord. And he said to the Lord, well, I can't, I'm banned from the temple, what can I do? So the word of the Lord came to him and says, well, write it down and get someone else to read it. So this is what he did. Pick up that story in Jeremiah 36. The Lord said to Jeremiah, take a scroll and write on it all the words I've spoken to you. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear all about the calamity I plan to bring upon them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. God's offering a chance. He always offers a chance. So Jeremiah called Barak. And at the dictation of Jeremiah, Barak wrote on the scroll all the words that the Lord had spoken to Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah said to Barak, I can't go to the house of the Lord. Can you read it there for me? On a day of, house, of fasting, you are to go to the house of the Lord. And in the hearing of the people, you are to read the words of the Lord from the scroll you have written at my dictation. Read them in the hearing of all the people of Judah who are coming from their cities. Now, I remember reading this. I read the scripture a couple of weeks back in Jeremiah, and I was like, wow, 
Jeremiah is warning the Israelites about all the other gods in their lives. But the Israelites are still going to the temple, still going to church. They're still keeping the, the religious feasts and fasts. But religious is the key word. It's a religion. It becomes a, an act, not a relationship. They were being good people. They did all the outward things that looked like they had chosen the Lord as their shepherd, but their hearts were elsewhere. And so I wonder, how are we different? Are there parts of our lives that aren't surrendered? Now, we live in a very blessed country. What idols could we have in our lives where we feel we don't need God? We may not have some fancy stick or, or a carving of a bull in our home that we make sacrifices to, but, but what's in our heart that exalts itself above God or takes the place of God? What parts of our life are more important than God? And I was really challenged and, and excited with what Denise was sharing before because it's ex- tied exactly into where I was going to take this message. What parts of our life do we want to do things our own way? Lord, you can have my Sundays. Oh, but Monday to Sunday, it's all mine. Or maybe God is a secret in your life for fear of being judged, judged mocked, or cancelled. See, what things in our lives are taking the precedence of the place that God should be in? And these are the idols that prevent us from living in the blessing protection and provision, the full blessing, the full protection, the full provision and guidance that only the good shepherd can provide. See, choosing the Lord as our shepherd doesn't mean we're throwing away free will. doesn't mean we're throwing away choice. But it does provide a value system on which all our decisions are made. So we surrender our decisions to God, ask him for his wisdom and guidance, and then base all we do on his, the first and second commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love others as yourself. And Jesus said it himself, there is no greater law. Now, I heard this great expression. It goes something like this. It says, hallelujah, but how? So this morning, I want to try to give you a bit of the how. And it starts with the my. And my choice. So we're given the freedom to choose how we live. We can choose unforgiveness, bad attitudes. We can choose pride. That freedom also means we get the consequences of those actions, of those choices. Living a life of I want and my rights has a tendency to impact on the wants and rights of others and those who live around us. Choosing to live a life of loving God first and loving people second looks very different, and it's not always easy. So this is not a salvation issue in itself, but it is an issue of living the fullness of life. Jesus said, I am come to give life and life in its fullness. So when David was reviewing his life and writing Psalm 23, he realized that the Lord had brought about the best parts of his life, his greatest successes, and had brought him satisfaction and fulfillment in what he had. See, I wonder what might have happened had David killed Saul earlier and taken the kingship. 
Could that have poisoned some people's attitudes toward him? Would it have been able to unite all the tribes of Israel into one nation? But because he showed himself humble and obedient to the Lord, people could say, ah, he's a leader I can trust. He's a leader I'll follow. See, we can say the Lord is my shepherd when we surrender all aspects of our life. Our body is from God. Do we honor him with it? Our thoughts and our, our feelings, our attitudes are surrendered. Pride. The Proverbs say that pride is the root of all sin. Where's our trust? Our finances are from God. Do we worship him through them? Our possessions are from God. Do we honor him with them? Our time is from God. Do we honor him with that? See, I personally think that time and things are probably the biggest idols in our society today. I sometimes wonder how often we worship the idol of busyness. We can wear, I'm so busy, as a badge of pride. We forget about rest. We forget about relationship. And I can be very guilty of that. Busy doing things, but not stopping. Filling my tank up. And looking after those around me. See, relationship takes time. When you meet somebody, you go, oh, I really kind of like them. I want to hang around with them. Spend a bit of time with them. Like them a bit more. Spend more time with them. And the circle of relationship grows. But it takes that time. The more time you spend with them, the relationship grows. It's no different with our, it's no different with our relationship with God. So when we think about a shepherd, he was intimately involved with the sheep day and night. He was provider by day and a protector by night. See, God isn't looking out to hang out with us just on Sundays. He invites us into a relationship where he is part of our everyday life, our every moment life. He wants to be the first person we run to when we need advice. The first person we, we, run, we run to when we need to pay the bills. When we need that provision. First person we run to when we need to share our feelings. It's quite easy to run to someone nearby and share, oh, I'm so annoyed, this person's upset me so much. That's gossip. Take it up first. So that's just scratching the surface of the depth of relationship that's available to us. When we start seeking God in all aspects of our life, the Holy Spirit just rolls up his sleeves and says, hey, that's what I'm all about. Comforter, counselor, guide, convictor of sin. We, don't, we may not like it, but we need it. He's the author of scripture, the spirit of God, the spirit of life. He dwells within us as the seal of God's promise of eternal life when we accept Jesus as our Savior. He's already in you. Try talking to him. You know, when David was waiting to become king, Scripture shows he regularly sought God's advice on situations he encountered. He sought the Lord in the waiting and didn't try to bring about the promise before the appointed time in his own strength. I think sometimes our disappointment is more about our misunderstanding of the timing of God. The timing of God's appointment. I shall not want means, Lord, I trust you to bring about your promises, that you work all things for good for those who love you. 
And even when I don't see the good right now, as, as we sung, I trust you, I seek you for the answer. Then we can find the fullness of life. We can be satisfied in the waiting. Her band, can you join me? In Matthew 6, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. You know, sometimes we forget that. I know I do. Especially after being at the petrol station sometimes. And that's why it's so important for us to stay connected. You know, sheep are a strongly social animal. There's not just company in a flock, but protection. And after David died and Israel was moving away from God, and forgot that he was the one who defeats the enemies. Instead, they started making, signing treaties with other nations. And we know the value of a signature on a piece of paper, right? Especially when it's between different countries. It's only of convenience. See, God is the one who gave them the land they were living in. He was the one who provides the rain for their crops. He was the one who parted the Red Sea. He was the one who pulled them out of captivity when they were in Egypt. Israel forgot their shepherd. You know, anytime we distance ourselves from God, we can forget our shepherd. That's why time in the Word every day is important. That's why it's important to be the house of the God every Sunday, to be in a small group, to be serving on a dream team, to be surrounded by the family of God. We need Jeremiah's in our life who remind us of the goodness of God. When we're in those desert moments and life is hard, God feels distant. When we are our perspective is clouded by our circumstances. That's when we need a Jeremiah to say, hey, Matt, he's the same God. He's brought you this far. He is faithful to complete the work he's already begun in you. He is a faithful God. That's where my trust needs to be. Now, just as Israel received their promise, they were given a challenge. In Joshua 24, verse 15, It says, but if Joshua said to the people of Israel before they entered the promised land, he said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Today is our day to choose. Every morning is our morning to choose. His mercies in you every morning. If we want to be like God, I didn't quite get it right yesterday. But I choose you today. I can't do anything without you. Now, church, I want us all to live in the blessing, protection, and provision that God has for us. That a good shepherd has for us. And so we come back to the beginning. Who is your shepherd? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a faithful God. I thank you, Lord, for the examples you've given us to learn by, to learn who you are, the nature of you. Lord, I ask this morning, 
that you would reveal a new aspect of yourself to us, your goodness. They're reminded of the, Lord, of the, the, the man who had the sick daughter who came to Jesus. And Jesus said, do you believe? The Lord says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Father, would you help us in the times we don't believe, in the times we struggle? Would you help us, Lord, to believe? Would you grant us to grow our faith, Lord? Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and reveal those parts in our life that we need to surrender to you. Lord, today we choose you. And there's this moment of prayer. There, there may be some of you who don't have an assurance of salvation. You don't know Jesus. Maybe you're far from him. But God loves you. He made you and he wants a relationship with you. We all sin, we all mess up. That separates us from God. But Jesus gave his life to pay the price that we were due for sin. And he extends to everyone today his grace, his forgiveness, a new life with him right now and a hope for a future and eternity with him in heaven. If that's you today, and if you don't know him, can I just invite you to, to say these words in your heart to him? Say, God, I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned, but I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I turn from my old life and I turn to you. Come in and be the Lord of my life. Make me brand new today. I choose from this day to live for you. In Jesus' name. Now, if that was you today and you pray that prayer in your heart for the first time, on three, I'd just like you to show me your hands so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Pray for seven. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Father, I thank you that you accept us as we are and you take us on a journey with you. Lord, would your Holy Spirit come fill us with the excitement and passion, renew us again, Lord God, to live for you. We ask your blessing on everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. Just welcome those who made that decision this morning.